Muliuli. Can you do what they did? Let's try it again. Muliuli. Now listen. Macola. All right. So your word is Macola, and I'll tell you what it means in a minute. So Muliuli. Pretty good. Let's try it one more time. Muliuli. Now that's a typical greeting among the Tambuka people in Zambia that we spent our time with. And uh, the opening muli, didn't that sound fun to say muliuli? You want to say that muliuli? Try it. Muliuli. Go ahead. Muliuli. It just sounds good. It basically means, hello, how are you? And they said what? Makola. I'm well. So, hello, how are you? I'm well. So let's do it again. Muliuli. More enthusiasm. Muliuli. Now, we're going to take it up a notch because when you greet someone there, the traditional way is you do this. And so I could be walking through the fields out in the villages and see someone in the distance, and I would just do this, and they would do that back, and it's just a sign of respect to greet. Kind of like, you know, we wave at people, and so when you would sit in the village, and I would say, Muli Uli, and they would say, Macaulay, we would each do this. So I want you to stand up. Hey, guys, bring the house lights up a little bit because I'm going to get this guy, this group on video. So when I go back to Africa, I can show the Tambuka people that you know how to speak their language, and they'll smile really big, okay? All right, we're going to do this a few times, and I'm going to get the video going, so all right, let's practice this. All right, can you do that? Come on. So when you say it's just, you know, you don't really clap, you just kind of put your hands gently together, so all right, muli uli. More, more loud. I want them to hear it in Africa. Come on. Muli uli. All right, now I'm going to get the video going, okay? Are you ready? All right. Muli uli. Muli uli. Muli uli. Muliuli. Muliuli. Hey, give the Lord yourselves hand. You did great. Thank you so much. Hey, leave the lights up. I'm going to take another picture here in a moment. Now, um, um, I forget your name. What's your name? Hanson? 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 All right, come on up here, Hanson. And a little bit, I'm going to get the two of you to help me toward the end of my sermon with something, okay? You two dudes right there, Bolin and Armstrong. All right. Now, did I get the names right? Okay, good. Now, when we, when we shake hands, we just do this, right? Well, as a sign of respect, when you greet someone among the Tambuka people, you do this. You got no, 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 no. Yeah, you put your left hand on your elbow, and that's a sign of respect, okay? So let's do that again. All right. Now, good job. Give him a hand. Now, are you ready to do that? You know, left hand on your elbow and shake hands. I'm going to get a picture, and I'm going to show the Tambuka people y'all know how to shake hands the right way. So I want you to stand up so I can get a good shot. I'm going to take, I'm going to just keep doing it because I'm going to take a bunch of photographs, okay? And let me, all right, all right, go ahead and start greeting one another. Yeah, put your, get your your elbows in there. There you go. All right, thank you. You can be seated. Now, wasn't that fun? Now, all of this stuff up here, just so you know, can know, is props for the sermon, all of those. This is high-test coffee because my body doesn't have a clue what time it is. I got up at 7 o'clock Friday morning in Zambia, which was 1 o'clock Friday morning your time. And when we walked out of the airport in Charlotte yesterday afternoon, it was 5 o'clock, and that was 40 hours later. I got to bed about 9.30, and I just, I'm happy to be somewhere. <laughs> 
And uh, so I may need this. And uh, so uh, if anybody thinks drinking coffee during a sermon is a sin, it's your problem. <laughs> I think Jesus still loves me and it's okay. And uh, if I fall off, you, somebody just pick me up. If I wake up, somebody come and wake me up if I fall asleep, okay? Hey, by the way, graduates, congratulations. Great job. I'm in a good mood. I'm going to take your picture too, okay? All right, let me. I, I got some of you in the first service when you were up here on stage. Man, that's a lot of faces. Y'all look so good. All right, parents, if you'll email me here at church, I'll, uh, I'll see that you get this. I'll edit it, make it a little bit brighter, and it'll look good. They, they've never looked better, have they? Never looked better. Never looked better. Um, we had a great trip to Africa, to Zambia. Our team is over here. Hey, guys, go ahead and stand up. Their pictures are up here on the photograph beside me. Go ahead and stand up. Go ahead. Stand up. Stand up. Um, oh, there's Brian. I thought you... you okay. Uh, remain, uh, well, you all can sit down now if you want to. Kathy Trapman, my daughter-in-law, Sarah. The, the woman in the, in the purple or whatever color that is, Natalie, uh, is from Charlotte. She attends the church that the missionary we worked with is is his home church so she went she went with us and uh, and then Brian Wilson that was her team and we can only take about six people on one of these trips to Zambia because of the traveling we have to do once we arrive in Landazi and I'll tell you a little more a little bit more about that but uh, hey they did a great job they did a phenomenal job and God worked and used them and and God kept us safe and healthy and uh, and it was a lot of fun and we want to thank you for your prayers um, we saw God do so many little things as well as big things, and your prayers are a big part of that, so thank you so much. By the way, when you say thank you, on the Timbuka, you do this as well, so thank you for praying for us, for following on social media and all the, the encouraging comments that you left, whether it was on Facebook or Instagram and the other uh, platforms, that was encouraging to us, and we appreciate it. I want to tell you a little bit about what we did. I'm not going to, this is not going to be just a report on Africa. I'm going to preach and use some of the experiences as, to, to illustrate points. But I want to tell you some of what we did, and one of the things we did was we had a lot of fun. We ended our trip with two or three days down in Livingston on the opposite side of the country from where we did the, the mission work and, and sort of just relaxed and, and had fun. Went to Victoria Falls, and if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know how massive and impressive that is. Victoria Falls is just as impressive, but in a different way because it's so long, it's so wide, and absolutely got drenched from the spray a good distance away so it's very very impressive we we did a couple of safaris one was a walking safari where we had a guide and then a guy with a rifle just in case something got out of hand and we got kind of up close and personal with some uh, rhinos and then we spent all day we crossed over into Botswana went to a national to to Chobe National Park and uh uh that, these are all my photographs, and we did get that close to elephants and giraffes, and we got close to zebra and hippos and just about anything else you can think of. So we had a lot of fun doing those kind of things, but that's not the reason we went. We went because we wanted to share the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ with people who are lost and need a relationship with him, and this was an evangelistic trip. In fact, uh, all of our trips to Zambia, and our upcoming trip in a, in a week or so to Birmingham, England, these are, these are church planning trips. These are evangelistic trips. These are trips we're telling people about Jesus. This is not We're building something. It's not a medical trip. This is a soul-winning trip. It's a telling the gospel of Jesus trip. And, um, and 
it was, it was a lot of fun to do that as well. We worked while we were there with one of our Baptist missionaries named David Petra who grew up in Charlotte. He and his family are in the photograph there. And by the way, they will be with us this September in our missions conference. And you'll want to meet them because we're going to sign an agreement with them and one other missionary, the one in Birmingham, where we're going to covenant together to, to, to support them for the next few years with trips, helping them plant churches in Birmingham, England, and in that part of Zambia. So you'll want to be here. And by the way, pray for his wife, Heather. She's facing in a few weeks back surgery in Johannesburg, South Africa, before they come stateside. And she was pretty uncomfortable while we were there, but she was a real trooper. So pray for her for the surgery to, uh, to go really well. As I mentioned, David and his family serve in Zambia. That's where we were. For those of you who don't know where Zambia is, it's in the continent of Africa. And for those of you who don't know where Africa is, it's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean from America, across from South America. And Zambia is in the south central part above South Africa, below Tanzania, neighboring Botswana and a few other countries. And we were, we were working with David among what's called the Tumbuka people. These, this is a group of about a million and a half people who only about 2% know Jesus, and they live primarily in Zambia and in Malawi, a neighboring country. We stayed in Landazi. That's where David and his family live. It's a town of about 12,000 people. And uh, on the map, if you'll look to the right, to the east, you'll see a little horn part sticking out about halfway up across from Malawi, and you'll see that's Landazi. That's where we stayed, but, but we didn't do our work in Landazi. That's where we slept and ate dinner. But every day we went out to a, a, an area called Egachikini. Can you say that, Egachikini? All right. Think of egg chicken. Egachikini. Egachikini. Because you're going to be hearing about that. Some of you are going to be going to Egachikini and Landazi in the years to come. So Egachikini. Come on, one more time. Egachikini. You're doing really well. That's where we would go. And um, it's the, the, the work there is, is small. Because among that group, we have about five pastors, five small churches in that part of Zambia. So the work is relatively young with them. And Egajakini is, is an, a new church plant, a new church plant, only seven or eight people going to it now. And uh, to get there from Landazi, we had to ride in David's uh, Land Rover one, and a, one hour and 15 minutes. Jamie, it was worse than when you were there because the roads had been washed out by the rainy season. You didn't tell me that before I went. And so it was an hour and 15-minute ride out to Egachikini, an hour and 15-minute ride back in every day on a bumpy dirt road in a crowded Land Rover, many days with live chickens in the back that we would buy at the market that morning because we were going to pop, pluck, and cook, and that was lunch. And so, yeah, how do you like the selfie of us in that Land Rover going out to Egachikini? Every day, and, and I, I took a lot of Tylenol extra strength. I mean, every morning when I would get in that Land Rover, I'd pop two pills, and then every afternoon before we started back, I'd pop two pills, so just to help me with the headache from pump, 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 pump for an hour and 15 minutes and dust everywhere. But, you know, not everything you do for the Lord that's fun and effective is easy. If you're just looking for easy ways to serve Jesus, you're probably not going to serve him nearly as much as you could and as God wants you to, and you're going to miss out on so many blessings. Now, Egachikini, we would think of it as a small town. For them, it's called a center. 
Think of it like a place about the size of McConnell's, okay? Just a small place with a few buildings, a school, etc. And then out from there, you go to what they would call villages. Different countries call different things. In, in Kenya, for instance, those villages are called Bomas. But here they're villages. And, and it's just a, a small cluster of little huts, some of them made of bricks that they build with tin roofs or thatched roofs, other different kinds of, and, and it's where an extended family lives. And so you'd have the matriarch, the patriarch, and as the kids, they have kids and they grow up. When the girls get married, they go off and live wherever their husband lives with that village. And, and so the sons and their families, et cetera, tend to stay there. And so you might have a village of two or three buildings or huts or a village of six, seven, eight, ten huts. You might have a village of five, six people. You might have a village of 40 people or more. And we would just walk through the cornfields, the maize fields, cotton fields, and now and uh, some of the, uh, one of our teams tended to stay closer to Landazi. They took me two miles out and with my interpreter, and Kathy was with me two days, and Brian was with me, I think, three or four of those days. And we walked through the fields to those different villages telling people about Christ. Went back to the same villages every day that we could and, and just trying to let God use us to reach people. And so in the mornings, and that's a picture of one of the villages I was in every day, uh, pretty typical, uh, surrounded by cornfields, actually, because that's a staple for their diet. And in the mornings, we would tell Bible stories that were selected specifically to help them understand the gospel, but also to address issues, questions, and thought patterns they had that would be a challenge to receiving Jesus Christ. So we told the story of the birth of Jesus. We told the story about uh, the disciples in the boat and Jesus asleep and there was a storm and he got up and calmed the storm, told a story about Jesus casting out demons and, and told the story about the crucifixion, the resurrection. And, and, and the last story was the, the um, what was it, guys? I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. Yeah, the rich young ruler. And then in the afternoons, we gather with those small group of believers there and just did discipleship, telling a whole different set of stories. And with all those that were Q&A and set questions we asked, et cetera. And so that was our, our method of doing evangelism. In the last two days, shared the gospel. And I'll tell you, um, about in addition to the stories, about 100 people actually heard, heard very clearly the plan of salvation with almost 20 people who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior while we were there. And for that church of five or six people, that was a great work of God. Now, what I want to do in the remaining time is share with you some, some lessons from Africa. And, and these aren't necessarily things that are new to me or new to you, but things that God reminded me about. Because of what I saw there, and, and as I started reflecting on them, I realized, you know, those things I see in America too. They're just as true here in the States as in Africa, just as true among many Christians in the States as they are among Christians, some, some people uh, who are religious in Africa. And these are, these are things that, that will defeat us spiritually. Lessons, th- things that defeat the church and make us less effective in evangelism and, and, and that hinder our ability to reach our communities. And, and really, they're things that do not honor Jesus at all. And so I'm going to use these props to help you understand and talk about And there's really two or three things I want to say. And graduates, the rest of this sermon applies to everybody in this room, but it really applies to you as a young adult. And so I want you to think about some of this stuff. And here's the first thing God reminded me of this, is that when we blend Christianity, we mix it with other belief systems, other religions, other philosophies, whatever, and sort of create our own belief system, our own approach to God, it absolutely weakens us and defeats us spiritually. And I saw that so prominently in Africa, but I also see it all the time here in the, 
in, in the states. And, and really it's happened throughout history. In, in history and theology we call it syncretism where you, you mix different religions, you mix different belief systems. And you remember the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when he went to the city of Athens, one of the things he saw was all these idols to all these different gods because, hey, the more the merrier. I remember when we were in London a few years ago, Jim and Kathy, you were with, we went to the Sikh temple, went to a Buddhist temple, a Muslim mosque while we were there to learn. And at the Sikh temple, man, they've got hundreds and hundreds of gods. And I, I've witnessed the Hindus who've come to the States before, and sometimes they'll pray. To, and I didn't know this in the beginning. I know it now. They would pray to receive Jesus Christ after I shared the gospel. They weren't getting saved. They were just adding Jesus to their pantheon of gods because it was very common for them just to mix it all together and and that's been true throughout history with the romans and 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 other other groups and it's very prominent today for instance when when we were with the tambuka in zambia something that was um, very common there is is witchcraft belief in evil spirits and 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 so on and i remember i was in one small the smallest village i I visited the whole time i was there and um, i think it was the second day there was a woman woman and two men and she came over and sat down. I know she had all of these bracelet things around her wrist. And she sat down, and she didn't look really happy. And I started telling the story of Jesus casting out the demon. And all of a sudden, she violently turned her back to me. And as I continued telling the story, she got up, and she walked away. What I would learn, she's a witch doctor. And then we look at that stuff, and, hey, you know, it's just you know, silly superstition. No, it's very real to them. And by, and by the way, we do know the Bible teaches there is a devil. He does have demons, and he is at work in this world through all kinds of stuff and people. And so a lot of the Timbuka people live in fear. And they think of these evil spirits, and rather than accepting responsibility for their own choices and their own sin, I remember one guy asking one of our discipleship groups, he asked the question, why does God allow evil spirits to make me do the bad things I do? Well, it's not unusual for us to pass the buck on our bad choices, is it? I did it because. I didn't mean to, but I did, you know, so and so. You know, and we pass the buck and we have all these excuses for choices we, in our free will, make. Yeah, there's pressure, but we make the choices we make. We're responsible for the decisions we make. But they live in that fear, and, the, and, these witch, and they'll go to the witch doctors when they're, when they're sick, and, and they worry about curses on their crops and on their family, and, and I could go on and on with, with that kind of stuff. But it's a really bad problem, and, and it makes it challenging to present the gospel sometime. And over the years, there have developed these distorted views of Christianity where they may hear something about Jesus, and, but it's not the whole truth, and they mix it with others, and, and they get this really crazy mixed understanding of religion and Christianity, blending it all together. And so when we're sharing the gospel, we can't just go up to them and say, well, here's what John 3.16 says and how you accept Jesus. You have to address those issues that corrupt their understanding of what it means when Jesus died on the cross for us. Well, the same thing's true in America. God is love. Jesus loves me. No matter what I do, it's going to be okay because he loves me. And God will not judge anybody. God's not going to punish anybody. I'm not to blame. God is love. God is love and nothing else. One man that uh, I think Sarah and Kathy were at his house with one day, asked Sarah if she would cast a demon out from under his bed. <laughs> so witchcraft is real to them. It's real. And demonic activity is real. It really is real. 
by the way, that man in that photograph came to church Sunday when I preached, gave the invitation. He stood up to give his life to Christ. And then they went back and worked with him on Monday some more too. Give God a hand for that. And so that's why we told the story of Jesus casting out the demons because we want them to understand that God is the one who's powerful. The story of Jesus coming the storm because we want them to understand that God has power over nature and creation. He made it. And you don't have to live in fear. And when you give your life to Jesus, you turn your back on that stuff. And you see, if you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, there are some things you're going to have to let go of in your life. The reason we, the last story we told was the rich young ruler. You, you remember he came to Jesus, what do I have to do to, to, to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, have you kept the commandments? Yeah, I've kept them. Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell all you have, get the poor, follow me, etc. And he, he walked away sad because he wouldn't let go of his riches. And the point of the story is we all have things we don't want to let go of. And whether you're in Zambia, you've got to let go of some things and some past traditions And if you're going to follow Jesus. And folks, here in Rock Hill, South Carolina, if you're going to follow Jesus, there are some things you're going to have to take your hands off as you give your life to the King of Kings. Not everybody's willing to let go of the things that they love more than they love Jesus. And, and, and graduates, one of the challenges you're going to face in life from this day forward is, well, you've already faced it. Do you want that more than you want Christ? Is your love for whatever it is so strong that it keeps you from following Jesus to the place and in the way he's leading you to follow him? Is there something you won't give up, let go of? I've known parents who would not let go of their kids so they could go into ministry or be missionaries because they love them, and I understand that. I Believe me, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, I get that. But I've seen parents who love their kids so much they held on to them so tightly God couldn't have their child. And they robbed their children of the life God had for them. That's a free sermon extra. Here in America... Mixing religion, mixing Christianity with all this other, that's no absolute truth. Everything's true. There's no absolute morality, absolutely right, absolutely wrong. It's okay for it to be wrong for you, but, you know, who are you to say anything's wrong? Who, who are you to say anything is true? Every, everything is true. We study this religion, we study that religion, we study all these philosophies, we mix it together, and we create this, this soup, this, this mix, this, this stew that we like. So I'll take some from this religion and some from that philosophy, and I, I create a soup that satisfies me, that tastes good to me. Do you know what the problem with that is? You're just following a figment of your own imagination when you do that. Because you have suddenly elevated yourself to the status of deity, the status of God. And truth is truth so long as you like it. That is so illogical when you really think about it. But that's where we are as a culture. That's where many of us in the church are, isn't it? You struggle with that. You you face that all the time in today's world. We often say things, well, you, well, you know, I, I feel, I, I think, and because I think and I feel it's got to be right. 
And so we're mixing Christianity with all this other stuff, all these other philosophies and worldviews and emotions and creating our own religion. But listen, there's a, there's a difference between being tolerant of someone else's belief. There's, there's a difference between respecting the freedom of thought and religion. Religious freedom in America was fought for, and by the way, your history books won't tell you this, but if you go back and read history books from 50 years ago, they'll tell you that. Baptists were at the forefront of that fight. Because originally in the colonies, you didn't have religious freedom. You had established churches in every colony except Rhode Island, founded by a Baptist, that you had to support. Every colony. Toleration, freedom means you're free to believe anything, but I'm free to say I'm right, you're wrong. Freedom means I'm free. We don't have that in America. We have this mixing where nothing is true and no one can say they really believe anything or anything is real. We've got to just, we can't respect the fact, hey, I think you're wrong, you think I'm wrong, but I'm still going to respect you. That's true freedom. We're losing that in this country, in this rush to mix things in a way that doesn't work. You, you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil at the beginning of his three-year public ministry. Went out into the wilderness and he fasted 40 days and nights, prayed. At the end of that, the Bible says he was what? Hungry. Satan came to him to tempt him. The first temptation was what? Jesus turned these stones into bread, touching on a genuine felt need Jesus had. And he could have done it. But do you remember how Jesus replied? Get behind me, Satan. Man shall not live, what? On bread alone, things that satisfy my felt needs, my wants, my desires, my wishes. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What he's saying is that God's word, God's truth, is not just something written on the on, on pages bound in some book, but it comes out of the mouth of God, and this is a written record of what God has said. And you read the Old Testament prophets, and time and time and time and time again they said, Thus saith the Lord. You heard Jesus in the gospel say, You have heard it said, but I say to you. And that's where a follower of Jesus discovers truth. None in mixing it with every everything else. Now, I'm thirsty. That's good. That's peach mango tea. Anybody like peach mango tea? Raspberry lemonade? I love raspberry tea. That's my favorite. Mixing in tea is really good. I mean, it is. Am I making any of you thirsty? Eh, you'll get over it. <laughs> mixing in tea is really good, but mixing your Christianity with other world systems is deadly. Doesn't mean you don't respect, doesn't mean you don't show toleration. But when you take the truth of Christianity and you say, I'm going to reject that part of it because I don't like it, you weaken it and you weaken yourself. And in the end, destroy yourself spiritually whether you know it or not that's one of the things God reminded me of in Africa here's the second thing I only got two okay watered down religion 
also weakens and defeats you spiritually. Now, what, we got, what got me thinking about this was not something negative I've seen, but something positive. I mean, we saw a handful of people who really loved Jesus and were willing to sacrifice. Now, the, the guys I'm going to talk about, they're not perfect. They have their issues like I have my issues, like each of us have our issues. We're all sinners who are saved and forgiven and growing. But I want to talk to you about the pastors. There. There's, there's, there, as I mentioned, there's only like five evangelical Baptist churches in that area at this point. But these guys, when they, and they're not paid much, if anything at all. They sacrificed to, to be a pastor. And these are the, local, the locals. The, those were our three translators while we were there. Two of them are pastors. The guy on the right in the sweater vest is a deacon in one of the churches. And um, they sacrificed. Because in their culture, what's expected when, when a son is educated, he graduates from secondary school, primary school, whatever, then he's to work hard and provide so his parents don't have to work hard anymore. And when these guys become pastors, they are, they're often alienated from part of their extended family because they're not holding up their end of the deal anymore. Because when they go into to pastor those small churches, they just, they just get by. And they're also turning their back on some of their native traditions. And it's not always easy for them. Those three translators did not live in Egachikini where we were working. They lived miles away. And they, they came to Egachikini and they slept there in a little, little hut on mats on, on a concrete floor uh, for the whole week. No running water, no electricity. My translator was Moyo, the little guy in the middle. Don't know how old he is because he didn't know what year he was born. He knows he was saved in 1985, but he doesn't know when he was born. But he's old, a little bit undernourished, was a great translator and had a passion to go out and share the stories in these villages. Moyo traveled the greatest distance to be there and help us the week we were in Egechikini because he wants to, when most people reached, he doesn't live there. He rode his bicycle about 40 miles on dirt roads to be there with us that week. And I want you to look carefully at the picture of his bicycle. Do you see the seat, how the front of it, the padding's just gone pretty much? And you can't really tell from this picture, but his tires are threadbare and he carries a pump because he has to keep pumping it up. I'd call that sacrifice, wouldn't you? I would call that a passion for the kingdom of God, for seeing people saved, wouldn't you? Um, and Jovu, I think, Sarah, was he with you and Kathy most of the time as a transfer? And Jovu is, this is, this is the photograph, and all these are my, uh, my photographs. This is um, the last day, Monday we went back out, and we went after five days, told Bible stories. Sunday went and had Sunday school. Kathy taught Sunday school, and I preached. And then Monday we went back out and said goodbye to everybody because hello and farewell is very important in their culture. So, for instance, you'll notice everybody over here is wearing... All of us on the team had some clothing made while we were there. This cost me about 12 bucks or so material and, and, and labor. And the lady, for her, she made a lot of money that week on all of us. But we go into her, her small house. She's got her sewing machine out on, on a little porch on the front. We go into her house. And so here in America, we want to do business. Go, hey, hi. Hey, hello. All right, now let's get down to it. I mean, we don't waste 60 seconds getting into it, right? So you go in. We're all there. And you sit down. And with every single individual... Mulili, Nicola, Mulili, Nicola, 
you've got to take your time and go around because in their culture, if you don't show that hospitality. When we would go walk into the village, I'd walk into a village and, and Moyo would say some things. I don't have a clue what he'd say. And all of a sudden, somebody would bring me a little wooden bench or a little rickety chair or a sack of seed and I'd sit down. And it might be five minutes or 15 minutes and the next thing you know, the whole extended clan has come and gathered around us and they'll quit whatever they're doing because that's just their hospitality. And when you leave, taking time to say goodbye matters. So we went back out there our seventh day on that Monday to say farewell to all of them. Well, the transfer, this is where it was our parting. And in Juve, the guy on the left, there beside, between Sarah and Brian, who's a young pastor, I guess what, early 20s, I think, young, huh, 25, young pastor. I, did, I wish I'd gotten a photograph of it. I don't think any of us did. But one of the saddest things was, we, we, we part, and here's Moyo walking up this little trail through the cornfields. We've already let him ride with us about 15 miles or so, and now he's got to walk this trail a long way to get back to his village where his church is because he and his church are the ones that are sponsoring this new church plant in Egachikini all those miles away, walking and on bicycles. Are you willing to pray for somebody to be saved? Are you willing to invite a classmate or a co-worker to church? Are you willing to walk two blocks in your neighborhood to meet a neighbor you don't know and develop a relationship with him? Are you willing to invite someone to your Christmas party that doesn't go to your Sunday school class? Are you willing to be inconvenienced a little bit? Are you, are you willing for this church to do what it has to to reach this community, even if it's not exactly the way you would like it to be done? See, if, if, if the only time we're going to really get behind the kingdom of God and, and the church is when it's comfortable, we're not going to do much. When, it, when it's easy, it doesn't inconvenience us. We're not going to do much. And then we wonder why God doesn't work. It's not God not working. It's us not working. That, that little church in Egachikini, five, six, seven, eight people now, I mean, it, it was two, three, but it was struggling and Petro, they call him Petro by his last name. The missionary was talking to Njovu, who's sponsoring that church. And he said, well, what do you want to do? You know, they, oh, obviously, do we close it down? Do we, what, what do you want to do? And uh, Njovu's response was, I cannot abandon this calling from God. And so David assigned us to Egechikini to encourage and to help. And, and, and uh, hopefully, they're further on, further down the road than they were before. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1? David said, he, you know, he's been teaching y'all for the last many years. Scripture. You remember what Romans 12, 1 says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies. Your total being, all that is who you are, 
as a living and holy sacrifice because that is what is acceptable to God. And by the way, when you're at Clemson and USC and High Point and, and, and Coastal and, uh, let's see, uh, 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 York Tech and Lander, I th- did I hear Lander, and, and Anderson, and I think somebody's going to Greenville Tech, and um, uh, 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 what am I missing? Did that, 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 College of Charleston, okay, all right. The Marines, you. You're going to hear some professors make you feel like an idiot because you believe in Jesus. You're going to hear some classmates make you feel that way. You've already heard some of it. Some of you haven't you? That if, if you don't agree with the historical tendency to mix your faith with everything else so that it's no longer Christianity but it's this new stew, going to face that. And girls, you're going to have guys trying to get you to do everything you don't want to do. And guys, you're going to have guys trying to get you drunk three nights a week. And you're going to be faced with a decision. You're no longer at First Baptist and you're no longer home and you're free and you're going to like that. And at times you're going to be scared of that. And you've got to decide what kind of man and what kind of woman are you going to be. Are you going to be one you choose to be or the one that everybody else is trying to make you into? And what is God calling you to be and do in life? Present your bodies as a living holy sacrifice. See, listen, when you, when, you, when you sacrifice for Christ... You have fun. I didn't enjoy riding in that Land Rover. Hey, by the way, I have a gift that nobody else in our team has. I managed to go to sleep most days on on, on that road. I mean, Sarah, my daughter-in-law thought I'm sick and wants to get me a sleep apnea test or something. I don't know. What do you you call that thing? No, that's the best way not to get a headache. I just went to sleep. I have a gift. But when you are doing what God calls you to do, you don't regret that. It's fun. Because there's no better place to be than in the will of God. I've got to wrap this up. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, no one can do what? Serve two masters. All right. Bolin Armstrong, run up here. Fast. Come on. Be brave. Be proud. You're the leaders for the whole group. All right, Morgan this side, Daniel, right? All right, this side. And we're going to use our imaginations. You're the devil. <laughs> You're God. Yeah. All right, grab my arm, guys. Now, don't hurt me. I'm an old man. All right, you're the devil. You're God. And I'm doing like a lot of Christians in America trying to serve two masters, Jesus in the world, Jesus and sex, Jesus and booze, Jesus and money, Jesus and stuff, Jesus and pride, Jesus and whatever. So guys kind of tug on me. You a little harder. You can do a little bit more. So, don't I look silly? All right, hard. Come on. Oh, it hurts. Thank you, guys. Because listen, when you try to live splitting the difference, 
The only one that gets hurt is you. It just doesn't work. It's awkward. Give these boys a hand. Who is your master? Because if you try to serve both of them, you're going to be yanked back and forth. You're going to struggle with some of that anyway. But if you don't settle the issue, who is your God? You're going to go through life looking like somebody who does this all the time, like a drunken man, like somebody in a a drunken stupor. And eventually it hurts the arm and the shoulder. Ouch. Don't do that. Why, Why are you afraid of Jesus? Why are you afraid to be a, a, a sacrifice? Because do, do you know what happens when you when you water down your religion? Y'all know this is one of my favorite drinks, right? Diet cheer wine. That is so good. Now I'm gonna let a drop get away. You ever gotten a drink at McDonald's, some tea or Coke? And let the ice melt. Hmm. It gets watered down. All right, here goes. Ah. That's what watered down Christianity looks like. That's what it tastes like. And some of you who are maybe thinking about giving up on Jesus, you know why you are? Because you've never tasted this. All you've ever tried to drink is this. And if this is all you've ever tried to drink, you don't have a clue what the real thing tastes like. Because until you totally surrender to Jesus and stop watering down your relationship with Jesus, you don't know how good he really is. And so all of your arguments against him are based on an illusion. You think this team, the members who went with us, Brian and Kathy and Sarah, did not have some anxiety? (laughs) We prayed every day we wouldn't get sick eating in the village for lunch. When we got to the airport two weeks ago on Saturday morning at 4 o'clock for a 6 o'clock flight to Dulles in Washington, then had a, what, a four-hour layover, and then a a 13-hour flight from Washington to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And got off on the tarmac and went into an airport in a third-world country with no signage telling you what to do, and uh, okay. And and about a two-hour layover there, and we get another flight, four hours, to Lilongwe, Malawi, the capital of Malawi. We spend the night in a house there and then the next day drive six hours to Landazi, Zambia. And then for the next seven days, an hour and a half out, an hour and a half back. You, you think we were all excited about that? Knowing, 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 listen, when, you serve, when, when God calls you and God says, hey, I'm going to stretch you, there's going to be some anxiety, some some uncomfortableness, that's okay. But if, but if God's working in your life and you have faith and you, and you know that God's going to do things, you go and, wow, you watch what God does. I'll close with these two quick stories. Kathy, Kathy Trapman, as you all know, 
school principal, teacher, children's ministry director here for, for a number of years. Loves kids, good with kids. Some of you were kids when she was here, right? So we assigned, weeks ago, Jamie, Jamie Burdett, our missions pastor, weeks ago assigned the stories that everybody was to tell in, in what days. And that's all taken care of before we go so we can be ready. First village I go to, the second day, second day Kathy's with me, and it's her day to tell the story. Her day. It's already set, predetermined. We get there, no adults, because all the adults in that village and others that I go to on that side of, uh, of Egajikini have gone to a funeral, and a funeral there lasts most of the day. And so there's 14 children. The oldest about maybe, what, 13, 12, something like that. 13, 14 children that day. No adults, because in that culture, the adults take care of their kids. They love their kids. But kids over here be quiet, you know. And boys have pr- prominence over girls. And so I remember one time there was a little girl, there was a girl about eight years old sitting on a log for a Bible story. And, and, a, and a, a boy about 13 came over and she had to get up. She got up automatically and went to the back and he took her spot on the log because that's just the way it works. And the kids don't ask questions. And here there we are, this day, and it's nothing but kids. And, and, and who's telling the story? It's not me. It's Kathy Troutman. Nobody better to talk to kids. You think weeks ago when Jamie assigned these stories, God did not already know that was going to happen. So when you, when, you, when you overcome your anxiety and you follow Christ, you'll find he'll do little things like that that just um, um, amaze you. Sarah, my daughter-in-law, she's pretty. She's got blonde hair. And she's out one day with Kathy, and there's this guy. How old was this dude? Got a guess? Early 20s. All right. Pretty blonde American. Starts up a conversation. Guys gather around. End up with a group of about 14 guys, and they're asking questions, and, and, start, and he's, he's hitting on her. Okay, and she she gradually picks up on it. And he asks the question: Can somebody be a Christian and a businessman at the same time? And Sarah astutely answers, "Well, my husband is a Christian and a businessman." And he said, "Oh no, you married? I missed my opportunity to marry this American." And <laughs> and but they ended up having about a with that group about a ninety minute conversation about the gospel. And the next day, under a shade tree, when I get back to the town center, to Egachikini, I see Sarah and Kathy sitting under this shade tree. There's eight guys. Now, this guy who was flirting with her is not there. But there are eight guys the next day. And this was not a village they were planning to go to. It's just something God orchestrated. And they spend two hours answering questions about Jesus with those eight guys. Who do you think set that up? And God can take... Something that someone does for wrong motives and bring something good out of it if you're trusting him. Stop being afraid to follow Jesus Christ. Stop being afraid. You're you're cheating yourself when you are. Show the next slide. That's my first village. On Saturday, there were 40-some people at that village. Fourteen of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Whose life have you changed? Outside your immediate family? Have you allowed God to use you? to make a difference.
Why not? Let's stand. And all over this room, and I, I listen, I am so thrilled you're here. I could go on for hours, but I'm already late, so we're going to stop. And God has you here today for a reason. And all you family members, yes, it's to celebrate these graduates. But do you think the only reason God brought you here today is so you could support these, these young men and women? big part of why you're here. But do you think that's the only reason God has you here today? Hmm? The Holy Spirit of God is trying His best to speak to you right now. And you're faced with the decision to listen to Him or shut him down. And some of you have these this mental gymnastics going on in your mind right now where you're arguing with God. You're arguing with, with me. You're, you're shutting it down. You're, you're closing yourself off to what God wants to do in your life. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to open yourself up. Because there's a world waiting. There's a, there's a future. There's stuff God wants to do in your life that you, you can't even imagine right now. If you will take your body, your life, your being, your personhood and say, Jesus, here it is. While I'm alive, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Let God make you uncomfortable you'll be happy. Let them stretch you, stretch you. Get out of your comfort zones and let God do something. If you stay in your comfort zone, you cheat yourself. You cheat yourself. And it's not a great way to live, brothers and sisters. It's really not. Let God stretch you. You just get to see so much when you do. So what is, what is God asking you, asking of you right now? When we sing, the pads are here so it's soft, come in and get on your knees and talk to God at this altar. Pour your heart out to him. Talk to him. Maybe there's something very real, very, very tangible that you know God is saying to you. Answer him. Some of you need to join this church. It's time. Today's the time. Some of you need to follow Jesus and get and be, and be baptized and publicly put on sort of the wedding band, so to speak, the, the symbol of ba- baptism, the symbol of your faith in Christ, and, and publicly mark yourself as a follower of Jesus for being baptized. And some of you need to be saved. Some of you need to come and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm lost, but today I'm giving my life to you and I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm committing myself to you to be your follower. So, Jamie and others, I'll be here. Let's sing. You come right now and make your decision.